Hello, podcast people. How are you doing out there in the world? Um, it's me. It's Luke Thompson again from Luke's English Podcast, which uh, obviously is not a surprise considering you've probably clicked play on some sort of device. So uh, everything's working normally. This is me recording another episode of this podcast. And um, this one is going to be uploaded very quickly. Um, I understand that I've been producing lots of content recently and I've been uploading episodes um, in rather rapid and regular fashion. Um, I hope that you're managing to keep up with all of this stuff. Um, I wasn't going to record something, but um, suddenly I was seized with the uh, desire to publish something on the subject of Brexit. Um, at the moment, it's ten. It's about 10.55pm on the 23rd of June. This is uh, the referendum day. This is polling day. And uh, in the UK, everyone's been voting. I say everyone. I'm not sure actually how many. We don't know yet. We, we won't find out until probably sort of early tomorrow morning what the numbers were. Um, but uh, people, lots of people, um, certainly more people than the previous uh, general election that we had last year, apparently, uh, many more people have voted for this referendum than, than in other elections and uh, choices that uh, we've had uh, in recent years. In fact, uh, it turns out that this moment, this day, this uh, referendum on membership of the, of the European Union, um, it turns out this is probably one of the biggest things to happen to the UK uh, for many, many years. Maybe one of the biggest things to happen since World War II. It's really a huge thing and uh, it, the media has been going crazy about it. Um, I could just sort of relate to you various things that I've read in the in the media and things like that, but um, the main thing I want to do actually here, and the reason why I'm recording this, is because um, I, I just want to read through some of the uh, comedy material that I wrote about Brexit um, over the last week or so, because, you know, I do a stand-up comedy show every week. It's called Sorry We're English. I do that with Paul Taylor normally, and... Um, Obviously, because Brexit's such a big deal and it's like such an important thing um, relating to the UK and Europe and uh, all that stuff, um, naturally I want to talk about Brexit in the show because it's something I'm thinking about. Um, and so I wrote quite a lot of comedy material on the subject. And the thing is that this is material that I can't really keep because essentially by tomorrow morning all of this material will be old, you know, it won't really apply anymore and I won't be able to do it ever again. Because if you are a comedian, if you're a stand-up comedian, material is very important. Um, you might have seen stand-up before, I'm sure you've heard me talk about stand-up comedy before uh, on this podcast, you're probably aware of it. Um, now, if you aren't sort of, uh, let's see, if you, if you don't know what's involved in making a show, it might appear that when a stand-up comedian goes on the stage, they stand there and they, they talk in a fairly natural way. It might look like uh, they're just making it all up on the spot. And in some cases they are. But for the most part, these comedians are repeating material that they've written very, very carefully. They spend lots and lots of time writing their material. And um, there's a very detailed uh, process involved in actually writing comedy uh, material. Um, it's not just let's go up and, and talk and funny stuff happens. That's the end result. It looks natural. It looks like it's just talking and the ideas are coming up naturally. But really, it's, a, it's, it's the result of quite a lot of writing and, and quite a lot of practice. And um, so 
comedians are as well as developing their their general skills their skills in being funny on stage comedians are always attempting to develop material um and really good material is something that that is very important to a a comedian um and um now i'm not saying all this stuff that i've written about brexit is really good material i think some of it's okay uh, i'm not sure about all of it but the point is that um i'm not going to be able to use this ever again I might be able to adapt some of it, but most of it I'm not going to be able to use again. And I thought, well, I don't want it to just go. I don't want to just lose it. Um, I want to get it out there in some way. So I thought, I know, I'll just read through the stuff in a little episode of the podcast. um, And it will be my kind of, I'm not sure if, actually, I'm not sure if it's going to be my final word on Brexit. I'm sure it won't be because this is such a big deal that um, the story will continue. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to talk about Brexit tonight because this is referendum night. I think I'm going to stick around. I mean, I'm going to stay up late tonight watching the BBC in order to follow the coverage. Um, so it's a big deal for me. Anyway, right. So what about this material? Now, I'm not promising this is going to be great or anything. Uh, I'm not promising that. But um, anyway, I'm just going to read through it. Um, now, this evening I did um, Sorry We're English without Paul because he uh, he was elsewhere. He was in um, another town doing a show somewhere else. So I did the whole show on my own and um, I desperately tried to remember all my Brexit material. I wrote a lot of it today and then I spent a couple of hours trying to remember it, trying to cram all the stuff into my head. Naturally, I couldn't remember it. It's really hard. And so um, certainly the 15 minutes on stage that I did on Brexit was a little bit of a shambles. Um, but it was fun and it was it was fun to talk about the subject. Um, so I'd like you to imagine that, um, well, I, you don't need to imagine you're in a comedy show. Let's not put any pressure on the material. I'm just going to read through it. Um, but uh, I wrote all this stuff with the aim of performing it live in front of an audience Um hopefully to make them laugh. That's the, the main aim. Um, so just enjoy it. Just listen to my comments. Now, some of these things I've already said on the podcast. I did one episode, uh, it was not the last one, the one before that, uh, which was like news, uh, football, Brexit, and Joe Cox. That episode, that featured a couple of bits of my material, in fact. I don't know if you noticed, but I did, um, what, I talked about the consequences of, of the UK leaving, you know, like France would will want to have its cheese and its wine back. I talked about that. I also mentioned uh, why I, I wanted to stay in because um, I don't like French paperwork and so I don't want any paperwork. So those bits I've already done on the podcast. So I'm going to do them again. Uh, why not? I mean, you'll hear them again. So what? Um, you'll hear, you can just enjoy the words again, I suppose. Um, but um, yeah, okay then. So here are my here's my material about Brexit, and uh, if you don't fall off your chair with laughter, then that's fine. Instead, you can just um, just listen to the things I I wrote down, and I try to remember. I I'm not doing this from memory. I'm just reading this from paper now, so that's nice. It just means that I'm going to be able to get the stuff out there without the pressure of having to remember it. Um, okay, then I'll talk more about the subject in a moment, but. Uh, let me now read through my, my material, okay? Right, so Brexit. Brexit. Uh, tonight is a very important night for the UK's relationship with the European Union for two reasons. The first reason is that this show is happening. 
and this is always a pivotable uh, a pivotable that's not a word let me start that again so the the two reasons why this is an important it's not going well is it <laughs> it's not a good start ladies and gentlemen it's important that i can actually uh, get the sentences out that's usually in, uh, something that helps in comedy that you can string a coherent sentence together so anyway let me let me start that bit again tonight's a very important night for the uk's relationship with the eu for two reasons the first reason is this show is happening and this is always a pivotal moment in anglo-european relations every week uh, this is a deciding moment in uh, Anglo-French relations. The second reason is uh, that the UK is having its referendum on Europe. In fact, right now, British people uh, in their millions are breaking away from their normal routine of beer drinking and sarcasm in order to vote. Um, And at the moment, the polls uh, are split 50-50. The polls show that it's about 50-50 between Remain and uh, Leave. It's 50-50. It's, it could be a draw, okay? It could be a draw. And, in fact, if it ends in a draw, uh, the plan is to have a penalty shootout to decide what happens next. That's how it's going to be decided. I think if, if uh, the referendum is a draw, there's going to be penalties. Or, at least, we could just switch things around and we could let the English, Welsh and Northern Irish football teams make the decision. And the government uh, will have to put on football shirts and play the rest of our games uh, in the Euro 2016 competition. And I think we have an equal chance of success in both situations, to be honest. So, yes, it's 50-50. You could toss a coin. You could flip a coin to decide, to be honest, at this point. Uh, and then, and then um, it, that's still not going to be the end of the, the solution, though, because even, even a coin costs... Uh, would be complicated because obviously we we'd still need to decide if we're going to choose heads or tails heads or tails i think we will still need a we'll have to have another referendum on whether we choose heads or tails and um there are other big decisions as well in a in a toin cost in a toin cost what's a toin cost luke um i don't know a coin toss um anyway other big decisions like for example who's going to provide the coin is it going to be the taxpayer is that coin going to come out of the EU budget? Who's going to get to flip that coin? Who's going to actually flip it? Don't give it to David Cameron. He'll probably hide the coin in Panama. Little uh, political joke there. <laughs> so don't give it to David Cameron. I it, I expect that the person to flip the coin would be the Queen. Because I think she's the only politically neutral person in this whole story. And even then, I expect that the coin... When it, when it gets flipped into the air by Her Majesty, the coin might even get grabbed from the air, either by an economic migrant or an EU commissioner, or maybe Cristiano Ronaldo, because he probably thinks he deserves it. Um, he, I imagine he thinks he's not being paid enough. He probably thinks he deserves that coin because he's so exciting and he's got such a great six-pack. Uh, but um, just as long as he doesn't grab the coin and then throw it into a lake... Uh, which he did to uh, an interviewer's microphone recently. Uh, The comedy is moving forwards, ladies and gentlemen. So confusion. Um, There's a lot of confusion going on. Nobody seems to know where the UK is. Um, Lots of people are very misinformed. There's lots of general ignorance going around. No one really seems to know even if the UK is in Europe or not, let alone whether it should be. So... To be clear, we are in the EU, but we're not in Europe because actually we're in Ireland. 
That's um, in fact that's one of the arguments for some of the Brexiteers. They say the UK has always been separate from the EU. The UK is an independent nation. We must maintain our sovereignty as a proud island nation. We're an island. That's why we should be outside the EU. Meanwhile, the Republic of Ireland are saying, "Wait a minute, that's not an argument. We're an island, and we want to be in the EU." We're more of an island than you. We're even called island, for God's sake. So your island argument is invalid. Meanwhile, Northern Ireland are just happy to be in the Euro 2016 football championships. Hilarious stuff. Um, So England are in the Euros as well. Yeah, England England are in the Euros. We're we're doing all right. We we managed to get through to the quarterfinals. Uh, We beat Marseille. (laughs) Ha ha ha. And then Russia beat us with big sticks. Um, yeah, there was some trouble. Uh, sorry about that. Sorry about the trouble in, in Marseille. Uh, the ugly side there of uh, Englishness, the English hooligans. But um, anyway, England are in the Euros as well. And in fact, we've considered having a referendum on the football. Should we exit the tournament in the first two rounds or lose on penalties to Germany? Polls show that it's a 50-50 split. Little footballing political joke there. Um, now, uh, so I think we should stay in the EU just for my own selfish reasons, not because I believe wholeheartedly in the European project. I just can't stand doing French paperwork. And if we leave, I'm going to get a lot of letters from the government. You know, they'll be like, uh, Mr. Thompson, it seems your country has decided to leave the EU and yet you would like to stay. So show us your papers, all of your papers. Um, so I hope we stay for that reason. Um, now, there is an alarming number of English people who still think that uh, England is still, or the UK is still the most important country in the world. There's a lot of misplaced national pride here. I think that's what a lot of this is about. It's about national pride more than it's about the genuine sort of intelligent economic arguments. Um, you know, a lot of people seem to think that if we take our country back, We can be at the top of the list again. We can be one of the best countries in the world. And you can see that in the general attitude. I think it's mainly English people who feel like this. It's a sort of a middle English, a sort of general middle Englander attitude. And you can see this sort of misplaced national pride coming through um, in the the general attitude. Take the football, for example. Uh, The English certainly always feel this expectation in the back of our minds that we're going to win. If there's a big competition... You can feel it at the back of your mind. You think, well, yeah, we're going to win. You know, we invented football. Um, you know, the least everyone could do is just let us have the World Cup as a gift. It's only polite. You know, it's just um, since we gave football to the world, surely we deserve to just win by default, don't we? Um, I, I think there is a subconscious level of national pride inside us. And it comes out at certain moments, you know. Like, for example, during an EU referendum debate or other situations like, for example, when you move abroad. I imagine it's the same for everyone, really. When you move abroad, it sort of somehow brings out some aspects of your national pride. For example, since I moved to France, I have suddenly become proud of things in the UK that I didn't care about before. When I lived in the UK, I didn't care about these things. Suddenly, now I'm here. I'm suddenly standing up for certain aspects of English or British life that I didn't care about before. For example, I keep finding myself defending English things. And this happens usually when I'm having a conversation with my French father-in-law. It seems that's when the English pride really comes out. For example, my father-in-law sometimes 
talks about how brilliant French wine is. You know, if we open a bottle of French wine, he might talk about the wine a little bit. Um, and, you know, I usually say, well, actually, uh, we produce uh, we produce wine in England too. And it's, it's in fact, considered by many cr- critics to be on a par with many French wines. In fact, uh, English wines, uh, you know, are all pretty much as good as French wines. Now, it's absolute nonsense. I'm almost certain that English wine is terrible. In fact, I've never even drunk it, so I've got no idea how good it is. But nevertheless, I still find myself saying these things. And, um, you know, I, I say things like this, like, uh, you know, with climate change and the rising level, rising level of uh, global warming, the conditions should be perfect for wine cultivation in England in the next 25 years or so. And in fact, uh, it's only going to get worse for French wine. So really, the, we're moving into the era of, of English wine. Suddenly, I'm an advocate for global warming and how it's going to benefit the English wine industry. I've got no idea what I'm talking about. It's just national pride coming out. Um, and it, it doesn't really, it doesn't matter anyway, because to be honest, he doesn't understand what I'm saying. His usual response is, oh, il, il s'en fout, ces anglais, hein? which is like saying, oh, they're crazy, these English people. And I say, well, you did let me marry your daughter. Uh, who's crazy now, huh? Apparently, it's all of us, actually. I think it's all of us. Um, also, I've become proud of other British things. Like I've become proud of our bad weather for some reason. Like, you know, recently in the, the bad weather here, some French people have complained about it. They've complained about the rain. Uh, and I go, oh, this is nothing. In England now, weather's much worse than this. Oh, don't talk to me about flooding. We've got the worst weather in Europe, and I'm proud of it. Um, or crime as well, for example. Crime. Like, don't talk to me about stabbings. We've, we invented stabbing in Britain. Or, um, you know, in France, you don't have traffic jams like we have traffic jams. We have great British traffic jams. So... It's weird. It's just national pride coming out. It, it sort of defies logic, you know. Um, I, I think, actually, this whole Brexit thing is just the Middle, Ig- the middle Englander coming out in people. And um, the, the Middle Englander, you know, like um, the kind of the Sam Gamgee uh, uh, of the Lord of the Rings, you know. Um, it's just the Middle England, the Sam Gamgee of, of, of all of us, you know, like immigrants, Master Frodo, Master Frodo, immigrants here in the Shire. Um, yeah, one of the big arguments of the Leave campaign is that when the EU is in the, e- uh, sorry, when the UK is in the EU, millions of immigrants from Turkey and uh, possibly Turkey and other countries are going to flood the country. So Britain's going to become flooded by immigrants. Well, first of all, if it's flooding that you're worried about, then you're looking in the wrong direction. You should be looking up, okay, at the sky where the rain comes from. That's the genuine threat of flooding in England. Um, So, yeah. So I think it's mainly England, you know. It is. It's mainly England that that is sceptical about the EU because Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, they basically want to stay. Um, or, or maybe it's just that they want to get away from England. You know, that might be it. They just just want to get away from the English. So, like, what do you want, Scotland, in this referendum? What do you want? Do you want to be in or out of Europe? Well, uh, what do England want? They want to leave? Okay, we want to stay. Um, so, um, lots of high-profile people have um, said that they back the, uh, the the Remain camp. A lot of high-profile uh, people. Um, intelligence experts, 
The intelligence services, you know, the secret services, they know that it would be better to stay because we need to cooperate with European intelligence networks. Like James Bond, for example. I'm sure James Bond, James Blond, who's ja- I don't know who James Blond is. There's probably another agent in the MI5 called James Blond. He's, got, he's like Bond, but he's got blonde hair. Anyway, um, James Bond, I expect, would want to remain. I'm pretty sure, you know. I'm sure that James Bond would, would rather be in the EU. Like, yes, I think uh, I think Britain should stay in the EU because MI5 needs access to European intelligence and I need access to sexy European secret agents. Britain needs to be in the EU so that I can be in those agents. Imagine a James Bond movie where he can't cooperate with the Europeans, you know, because we're not allowed to share information. Yes, Bond. Yes, come in, sit down. Um, This mission's a bit closer to home this time. That's right, you're being sent to Brussels. The European Commission are having a special trade meeting, and we need to know what's going on within the EU bloc. But due to the intelligence restrictions since this damned Brexit situation, you can't get access as a Brit. They won't let you in. So you'll be going undercover as a Frenchman in this one. Oh la la. And then James Bond uh, walks into a Brussels bar uh, disguised as a Frenchman. And he's trying to put on his best French uh, accent. Uh, est-ce, que, est-ce que je peux avoir un martini? Uh, un martini, shit. Um, that's my James Bond bit. It's, it's hilarious, isn't it? So, yeah, James Bond wants to stay for the intelligence uh, and for the ladies as well. Richard Branson. Richard Branson, the British businessman, is also thinking along similar lines. He understands that British business and our sex lives are better in the EU. Um, he's, he's always had a taste for uh, the ladies, hasn't he, Richard Branson? Um, in fact, he has said that if we want to achieve growth and genuine expansion of all our tangible goods, Britain needs full access to lucrative European assets. Basically, he wants to have sex with European women. Um, he's always been keen on achieving total market penetration towards ongoing liquidity going forward into Europe. That's a that's a sex joke, by the way. That was a sex joke. Um, so consequences. This is the bit where I talk about consequences. Um, I hope the the Brexiteers realise that there will be consequences if we go. There will be negotiations. Okay, Europe might ask for all of its stuff back. It'll be like a bad breakup. France will say. Okay, Britain, you're out. Fine. But um, I think you've got some of our stuff and we want it back. Cheese. Give us all the cheese. We need our cheese back. And the UK says, okay, that's no problem. Here you go. You can have your cheese. It's all right. We've got our own cheese. Thanks very much. And France says, ha that's very, very funny, Britain. What is this? British humor? Um, wine as well. Uh, Britain will have all of our wine back. And Britain says, oh, okay. Uh, well... Okay, that's fine. We can buy all of our wine from our friends in Australia. Meanwhile, in Australia, they're all saying, raise the price of the wine. And the quality. No, no, just the price. Um, Romance, say France. Romance, we'll have have the romance back. And uh, romance is a French concept. Um, It comes from France. We'll have romance back. And the Brits say, that's fine. You can have it. Um, To be honest, we don't really understand romance anyway. It's yours. We'll just go straight back to having functional sex again. Um, Table, say France. Table, it's originally a French word. Uh, Give us your tables. Yes, that's right. It used to be a French word, table, originally, before it was introduced into the English language. So table comes from French, I think. 
maybe via Latin. Um, and um, it, it must have been difficult before we had the word table. It must have made domestic life quite difficult. Can you imagine? Uh, so where do you want me to put these uh, cups? Where shall I put these cups? Oh, just it's okay. You can put them over there on the... Um, you can just put them on that. Um, just give them to me. It's fine. I'll, I'll take them. Um, so, yeah, they're going to take their tables back. Where are we going to put all of our drinks? I don't know. It's going to be uh, inconvenient. Um, and at this point, um, the Netherlands, Belgium and Germany step in. And they say, uh, lager, give us all the lager back. Uh, that's that's a European product. We gave you lager. And we want it back now. At this point, England and Britain. England, Britain, all of them. They go, no, not the lager. Then Scotland says, yes, and we'll have all the whiskey and James Bond and digestive biscuits. McVitie's, they're Scottish. Eng England are like, what? They're Scottish? I thought they were British. Yes, it doesn't matter. They're good in any case. Uh, give us your whiskey and James Bond. And England say, wait a minute. You're, you're in the... E you're in the... Wait a minute. You're in the UK. What are you talking about? And Scotland goes, oh, yeah, we left when you weren't looking. We had to go back. We left our coats in Europe. Eventually, England are just left on their own holding a potato. That's all they've got left. And Ireland say, ah, now you know how we feel, you stupid bastards. So there you go. It was worth it, wasn't it, ladies and gents? It was. It was worth <laughs> recording all of that stuff so that it could be saved forever. Um, that might have just been words to you. I've no idea if, uh, if, if that had you chuckling. Um, but anyway, there it is. That was my Brexit material. Um, so let's see, I've been talking to you now for 25 minutes. Um, and, um, uh, I wonder what's going to happen. I really do. An indication of what's going to happen, um, in this referendum. And, and I imagine you're listening to this after the results have come out. So you're probably, you are probably well aware of what's happened. Maybe we're in, maybe we're out. If we have made the decision to leave, then bloody hell, that's going to be complicated, isn't it? Like I said, it's going to make life difficult for me because I'm going to have to probably apply for some kind of visa or something. There's going to be paperwork involved. There will be paperwork. Um, and also, that means that whew, suddenly the, the UK is going to have to try to pick apart its complex uh, arrangement with the European Union. That's going to take years. It will take years for us to extract ourselves from from the eu because we are deeply deeply embedded within the european project um, we've got lots of you know business agreements there are tons of trade agreements um, there are all sorts of things you know science scientists like uh, stephen hawking um, and all the other great scientists uh, that collaborate between the UK and the Europe and, and the European Union, they will have to somehow. Uh, I don't know. That, that a lot of projects will have to be stopped. Um, new arrangements will have to be made. There will have to be new legal arrangements and things like that. A lot of businesses, I think, will have to cease trading. I imagine while the um, new legislation for trading laws and uh, export and import tariffs is going to have to be revised. Um, the status of so many uh, uh, people who are expatriated 
into the UK. So that's particularly all the Polish people, all the Irish people, and all the other EU citizens who are living and working in the UK, uh, and yet they're not British citizens. What's going to happen to them? Are they really going to have to up sticks and tear themselves away from the life that they've been living in the UK in order to move back to their countries and back to some situation that they don't know? Um, what is what is going to happen to all of those people? Are they going to have to separate from loved ones? Any relationships that have been formed, you know, any Polish people who've got into relationships with English people uh, or, you know, Scottish or Welsh or Northern Irish or whatever? Uh, what about all the Irish people? I've got friends. I have uh, friends from the Republic of Ireland who've been living in London for years. What's going to happen to them? Are they seriously going to have to break off their situations and go back to the Republic of Ireland again? Is that really what's going to happen? Um, how are these people going to actually uh, tear themselves away from the lives that they've been living in the UK? It's, I mean, I mean, I'm not an expert again. I'm, I'm not an expert. Maybe what will happen is that new arrangements will be made and these people won't have to leave. Uh, but at, at, at the very best, it's going to be inconvenient, time-consuming, disruptive. Um, so I don't know. Maybe all of these things I'm saying are not necessary. Uh, maybe what uh, what's actually happened is that the UK has chosen to remain. Um, and if that is the case, then I expect all of the Brexiteers will be furious uh, because there have been a lot of very passionate people um, on social media that I've seen. People are very have very strong feelings about this. I mean, I've I've already seen articles written about uh, some of the um, the the uh, Leave campaigners, the Brexiteers, who already are suggesting that there's going to be some uh, intervention by MI5. There are conspiracy theories coming out about this. Some of the Brexiteers are basically like coming out with conspiracy theory level um, statements, saying that if uh, the the UK leaves the European. It, sorry, if the UK stays, if the voters remain, then a lot of them will believe that it's a fix. That they'll believe that MI5 somehow managed to fake the 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 result. Um, I mean, it's conspiracy theory level thinking. That's paranoid stuff. It really is. Uh, I mean, could MI5 really do that? They'd have to inter in, intervene. They'd have to. Uh, uh, take lots of the papers the theory is right here's the here's the theory of these 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 uh paranoid conspiracy theorists that um a lot of the brexiteers have gone into the polling booths and they've seen that that the uh the booths have pencils not pens pencils for people to use to to mark their vote and just because of this they think that uh uh this means that that um the 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 voting papers could be amended, they could be changed. So they believe, just based on the fact there are pencils, that there's a MI5 plot to have, I don't know, God knows how many secret agents. James Bond is going to be in some room with a big pile of voting papers and, a, and an eraser rubbing out all of the, all of the leave votes and replacing them with, with remain votes. Is that really what they think is going to happen? But it's true. A lot of people have said that. There's some survey said that something like 33% of, of Brexiteers believe that the result will be fixed by MI5. What? Um, I mean, that's just what I've said. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just statistics. Statistics, you know. St statistics can be manipulated to suit your agenda. 
there's that famous quote. I think it was comedian Vic Reeves who said um, uh, something like 84.1% of statistics are just made up on the spot. Um, so who knows what the statistics will say. In terms of a prediction, again, you're listening to this knowing full well what's happened. I'm still in the dark here because uh, the, the voting hasn't been counted yet. But in terms of a, a prediction, the polls seem to say it's about 50-50 at this point. Um, but a good indicator is the, um, the bookmakers, the betting companies. So any big thing like this, like a, an election or a referendum or... Usually it's football matches, sporting events, or any big thing that's happening. There will be uh, people making bets, people gambling on this. And so the betting companies like Ladbrokes, uh, Betfred, um, uh, William Hill, these are betting shops. They actually have to produce betting odds, um, which is basically a sort of a, a probability of... of, uh, of that happening, a probability of something happening. The more probable it is, the less money you can win from betting on it, basically. All right. So um, they, the betting shops come up with these odds, and the odds are usually a, a pretty safe indicator of what's going to happen because the the the, the bookmakers, the the betting companies, have to work really hard to make sure that they've made the right prediction because a lot of money is involved. If they get the wrong prediction and let's say, you know, if they if if they get the wrong prediction and 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 lots of people place bets, then the betting companies will have to give away a lot of money. So there's so much money at stake that the 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 bookmakers usually put a lot of time and effort into making the right prediction and therefore producing the the better gambling odds. And um According to Ladbrokes, one of the UK's biggest betting companies, um, they they are predicting a Remain result. Uh, so they're, they're predicting Remain, and it was something like 76% chance of it being a Remain result. Um, even though the polls are very close, um, the Ladbrokes seem to think that there's a good chance it'll be Remain. Um, so it'll probably be remained by a very small margin, I imagine. A bit like the Scottish referendum. could be just a few percentage points difference. Um, so that's a pretty good indicator. Also, I heard that the financial markets, according to the financial markets, who obviously have to keep operating, um, you know, all of the, the stocks and shares and trading that goes on in the financial markets, they have to basically continue doing business. Because if they stop because no one is sure what's going to happen. If they stop, then it'll be an economic crisis and there'll be a, a crash in the markets. So they have to essentially keep doing business. They have to keep trading. And so they've got to make a pretty firm decision. And, and I think according to the markets, they are assuming it's a remain. The markets have decided that remain are going to get this. And so they're trading on the basis of a, of a remain. So these indicators are pretty safe um, indicators, I think, that it will be remain. But we don't know. We really don't know. Um, and uh, it would be unwise of me to make a prediction. Uh, I hope, as you know, I hope it will be remain uh, because of lots of reasons. And, and you've, heard that you've heard the reasons. Essentially, I think the UK is better off in, in the European Union, that um, we're better together, that cooperating with our neighbours is, is the wise choice, that it's better economically, that we would lose tons of money and tons of business if we came out um, and, you know, lots of investment would be lost and things like that. I think it would be better for individuals uh, like me who are living abroad um, in the European Union. Um, 
and there are something like 800,000 of us um, and it would be, be better for individuals, uh, European citizens living in the UK. Um, I know that there is an argument about immigration. It's a complicated one. Um, and really, I think that comes down to a certain kind of ideological position about whether you think that it's right or wrong for people to be able to move into the UK. Um, I'm not going to go into all that stuff again. Um, I mean, I understand that there's an argument for some people, certain like working class people whose jobs are under threat, that they obviously feel disenfranchised by the idea that uh, immigrants can come in and steal their jobs. But, you know, it's, it's com- competition in the labour market. Um, that's that's an argument I can understand that it's unfair on working people who feel that their jobs are under under threat from from people coming in. Fair enough. Um, there also may be an argument about uh, uh, the status of English or British culture in the face of uh, many people coming in in very large numbers in a short period of time. But honestly, I have faith in British culture. I do. I think that British culture is strong enough, inclusive enough and vibrant enough for visitors to come in to be convinced that British culture and the British way of life is the better one. I think we underestimate the strength of of British culture, that if migrants come in who have a different culture, I think that they will discover that we live in a progressive and positive and inclusive and multicultural place where essentially you can live your life and you you, you, sh- you, you know you can live uh, while respecting the lives of other people and that basically it's okay everything's fine there's no need to be extreme that that life is pretty good in in the UK and i hopefully hopefully that will be the more powerful factor instead of this fear-driven idea that there's going to be a wave of immigration, that it's going to somehow um, flood the country and that our culture will be lost. I just don't, I don't agree with that. I, I think that uh, that's just a negative view. And, and if British culture is, is really of value, then I think that the immigrants will notice that and that they will embrace it. And obviously there will be individuals on both sides who are stupid and they do, they, they do stupid things. You know, these are just uh, individuals. And it's not fair to uh, use the actions of a few individuals to, you know, uh, generalise everybody. And that, that's the, the case on both sides. Um, all right, I'm going to stop talking now. I'm going to go downstairs and, and, and watch the BBC and see what they're all saying about this. Okay. So let me know your comments. I, I'm sure that I'll be talking more about this uh, as I find out what's, what's, what's actually going to happen. But I'm now going to stop talking and I'm going to upload this episode before, uh, before it's too late, basically, before um, all of these things are sort of really, um, what's the word for it, before they don't really apply anymore. I, I imagine some of you are listening to this weeks, months, years maybe after the the referendum has happened. I wonder if with the benefit of hindsight, um, you will have a, a different view on things. I wonder. I wonder how history is going to play out. I wonder what's going to happen to the European Union eventually because I understand that the European Union is, is, is experiencing a crisis. It is. Uh, people have lost faith in the project um, and I think that Maybe we need to reevaluate uh, if if people feel so 
um, skeptical about the way that the European Union runs, something needs to be done. Maybe people need to be educated about exactly the way that the European Union operates. People need to know that it's not some sort of um, what's it's it's not some sort of super state which is. Um, which has this evil plan to uh, undermine the sovereignty of its member states. I, I don't think that that's what it's it's doing, and I think I think that's a, a a an opinion which is based on a lack of understanding of of the way that the whole system works, and a sense of uh, insecurity about the future, about living in in an economic crisis, the sense of fear about the effects of of immigration. People are worried about, you know, this huge uh, population of migrants who are moving through the European Union. People are worried about that. Um, but I think, you know, we need to look at the bigger picture and understand why these people are moving. Isn't it because of a horrific um, uh, conflict which has gone on in Syria, in, in that part of the world? horrible conflict between so many different forces so many large forces at work in that area um you know obviously there's there's different armies fighting and i think a lot of ordinary people are caught up in the middle of this and large areas in syria like cities have been smashed to pieces these people have got nothing to live for in that place because their homeland has been destroyed essentially by the conflict they're stuck in the middle of this this conflict between different superpowers um and they had to get out where are they going to go i mean uh can't i don't know i'm i'm i i can't give an opinion on that i mean i I don't have the solution um but i think it's worth trying to understand things rather than just um sort of having a knee-jerk reaction to the idea of many people moving uh towards the uk um yeah 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 I'm sure I had something else to say on the on the matter. I'm sure it'll come to me later. Um, all right then. So that's it. Thanks for listening to this. And if if you are listening to this five years down the line, maybe um, the 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 situation with the European Union will uh, will be different, and maybe that will totally change your interpretation of what I'm saying. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder if I'm right or wrong about any of these things. Um, oh yeah, I remember. I remember the thing I was going to say. That's it. I think this is a, a big point. There's something that's been occurring to me a lot and something I haven't said yet on the podcast about this. Um, <clears throat> and that is that people feel this sense that uh, the sovereignty of their nations is being undermined. People get the sense that like Britishness is being undermined and that it's being uh, it's under threat, and that there's some sense of our our culture, our way of life is under threat. Why is this? What what is it that's making people feel like this? People point at the European Union. There's this sense of national pride, this emotion. It comes from the heart. It's not really a logical argument. It's more of a, a feeling. It's a gut feeling. People, you know, point at the other. They point at uh, the European Union, which is this thing that they don't understand from a foreign land. Um, and they say, this is the thing that's making me feel bad. This is what's making me feel insecure. This is what's damaging my culture. This is why I don't feel like I can be proud of British culture anymore. It's the European Union. It's become a scapegoat. But I think that actually there's something else that that, um, that is undermining our sovereignty. And that is really the the, the power of kind of multinational corporations isn't it there is um 
there is this trade agreement which is being sort of agreed or negotiated right now. I think it's called the TTIP. Uh, there are various sort of transatlantic trade organize uh, tr transatlantic trade deals which are are being being uh, drafted. Um, and as far as I understand it, this these sorts of things are a greater threat to sovereignty because this is ultimately like private companies who are uh, negotiating to have the right to um, have uh, power over uh, national governments. For example, uh, private companies want access to things like public services. They want access to um, services and, and, and uh, publicly owned services in, in many countries, including the UK. Uh, these are large multinational corporations that actually don't really respect uh, the sovereign borders. These are the things that are undermining undermining our, our national cultures, I think. It's the fact that ultimately, like, these big corporations um, are bypassing sort of democracy, essentially, by negotiating the right to, for example, to sue governments. Like these companies, if the, if they get what they they want, they will be able to sue companies. They'll be able to uh, sorry, they'll be able to sue governments. They'll be able to take governments to court um, over you know restrictions to to uh, certain types of markets and other things like that. That's much more of a threat to national sovereignty and democracy than the European political project, which is basically set up to try to um, create stability. Uh, and to create standards across the, uh, the the European Union in order to try to create, you know, essentially peace and, and uh, well-being and uh, wealth for everyone. Sure, it's had its problems and the things that happened with Greece and so on were an issue and there are other issues going on. But uh, I'm not sure that the European Union is the source of all of our grief. I think that there are other things going on. I mean, you know, like there is this... We've, we know about this, right? We know that uh, uh, something like 1% uh, of the world's population owns something like 99% of the wealth. And there's a ridiculous level of imbalance between uh, those who own all the money and, and the people who, you know, like there's a huge Im imbalance between a tiny rich minority and the rest of us. It's a massive difference. And ultimately, I think it's the people who own everything and who want to keep control of everything, you know, all the money, they're the, they're the ones that are really undermining our, our, our national cultures. Yeah, and that's not a conspiracy theory. That's not some sort of crazy, whacked-out conspiracy theory. I don't think it's like... It's not like the lizard people who live in, in, in the moon... Uh, who are dominating us. It's not the Illuminati or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I think it's genuine sort of big business, ultimately. Big business is profit-driven, and it's like the sort of the, the bad end of capitalism, that you end up with these super profit-driven organizations that uh, ultimately aim to squeeze as much profit and as much uh, um, ownership out of the world as they can, even if that means undermining sort of democratic processes and sovereign borders. Yeah, okay. Yeah, getting political on Luke's English podcast. Oh my God. Yeah, it's all getting a bit political, isn't it? Yeah, I understand I've been talking an awful lot about politics recently and um, it's not something that's going to continue long term. 
unless, of course, you love it, unless you, you like politics. I do talk about politics sometimes, but um, if you're not a fan of the politics stuff, then don't worry. Um, normal podcasting will resume uh, in due course. As soon as the Brexit stuff is kind of out of the way, I'll get back to talking about having accordions for legs and uh, uh, and and uh, having a relationship with a mermaid and, and all that kind of thing. Or just the simple basics of um, learning English and uh, grammar and phrasal verbs and pronunciation and conditional structures and all of the things we love about the English language. Uh, we, I will get back to the point, okay? There will be more language learning related things coming up soon. Um, and also other things, you know, all the other subjects and things that there are in the world which have to be covered. Um, soon I will upload my episode about Muhammad Ali. And I'm I'm very keen for you to hear that one because um, I put some time and effort into recording that. My, my kind of, uh, my biography of Muhammad Ali and also... Uh, in that episode, I tell you a story, basically. I tell you the story of one of his most dramatic fights, and that's the rumble in the jungle. All right, then. I'm really genuinely going to stop talking to you now. Thank you very much for listening to this uh, Brexit-related uh, special episode. Uh, I wonder what's happened. I'm now going to go downstairs and watch the TV with my lovely wife. Thanks for listening. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.